0: Good morning. Morning. Brody's got this. I want to see that cup, Brody. Look at this cool cup. It's all... Turn the light down a minute. Look at that. I'm not going to be focused on preaching, Brody, with that thing shining down here. Yeah, thanks for that, man. Don't spill that water anywhere, okay? All right. Good morning. Uh, We're welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're new to us today, we're really glad to have you. My name's Steve White, and uh, we're here to love the Lord together and lift him up and exalt him, and uh, he is worthy. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, there is none like you. And we have just lifted our hands and praise our hearts and praise our, our our lives, our hearts. We are so grateful to you that we can be here. Uh, people have been rescued by the love of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will be seen and noted and sensed, felt, welcome in this place today as we turn our minds now to the Word of God. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles or your devices, go to uh, Exodus chapter 12. We began Exodus a few weeks ago. It, it serves as a microcosm of our whole rescue out of sin and shame into the new life that we have. And so God is rescuing his people, the Jews, for his glory. And so this is a fascinating, uh, fascinating historical record of God saving his people. You know, snakes are hard to kill. Even dead snakes... Uh, can do damage, believe it or not. uh, In a recent year period, five out of 35 uh, snake bite victims that were admitted to Good Samaritan Hospital in Phoenix, Arizona, were bitten by dead snakes. Justin Clough was one of them, 21 years of age. He had decapitated a rattler, and after that, the snake bit his index finger, and he lost that finger because of the venom. Amazing. Moses is this leader that God has called because there's a serpent in Egypt. He's the Pharaoh. In fact, this is his headdress. If Moses, when Moses stood before Pharaoh, uh, there's a serpent that comes out of the top of the headdress there of Pharaoh. He's the serpent of Israel. That serpent made his appearance, of course, in Genesis chapter 3, and his slimy presence has been known around the earth ever since. As sin invaded God's perfect world. God's people for 400 years have been in slavery. And they were a people to declare the glory of God. But because of Pharaoh's intense slavery of God's people, they couldn't do as God wanted them to do. And so he called Moses, who was 80 years of age, when he was a shepherd in the Midian desert. And God spoke to Moses through that burning bush and revealed himself as the great I am. He called Moses to stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go that they can worship me. But Pharaoh refused. He scoffed at the God of the Hebrew people. And so God sent plagues and Luke went over those last week. They were plagues of judgment on Egypt, but they were also plagues of opportunity. That Pharaoh could understand and see and have a glimpse of the glory and the greatness of God. He would deny his own gods and submit to the God of Israel, the God of the ages, the God that we are worshiping even today. So they were plagues not only of judgment, they were plagues of God's grace and his mercy as Luke so well painted for us last week. Instead, Pharaoh kept hardening his heart against God's truth. It was the tenth one that God is attention, that God was going to slay the firstborn out of every household. And even though he didn't want to pay attention, Pharaoh was forced to pay attention. Now, all people have failed God. When the death angel comes, after that 10th plague is announced, all deserve to die, the Hebrew people and the Egyptians. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But God doesn't want his people to be affected when the death angel sweeps through Egypt. Because he wants them to be his own people. A people for his own. A a separate people from all the other nations. And he spares them the havoc, the grief that that final plague is going to bring. So here's what he does. This is chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron... In Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth month of this month, each month is to each, uh, uh, sorry, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to, to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter... Them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And that night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you're to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. In other words, ready to get out of Egypt. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. There are two lambs I want to point you to today, Moses' lamb and Mary's lamb. And I trust by visiting these verses, we're going to deepen again our gratitude. It is easy for us, any of us, to have amnesia when it comes to the facets of our faith. And we forget what has happened to us. And God's amazing plan to rescue us. I hope we can be revisit this and be struck again, awestruck by the majesty, the goodness, the grace, the mercy of God upon us. First, consider Moses' lamb. What will God do to bring freedom, freedom out of bondage for his people? What he's gonna do that will so dramatically do this and that will conquer the serpent? Ah, uh, a lamb? Uh, 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 a puny, weak? Gentle lamb. Is there anything more defenseless than a lamb? No fangs, no claws. Even a grown sheep has trouble running, let alone a, a wobbly sheep. I mean, you look at a lamb and you, they stare at you and it's, it's as if they're saying, hungry, just kill me. You know, you're cold. Just, just shear me. You'll be warm. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ Later in the Old Testament scripture, the prophet Isaiah would write of our Savior as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I read about a man who worked in a slaughterhouse. They processed beef. He did fine with all that. Then they started processing lambs for the meat. And so he'd take a lamb, pull the head back, slit its throat, and the lamb would be looking at him, do it. The blood would start covering his hand, and the lamb would lick it off his hand. And the the man said, I put the knife down. I couldn't do it anymore. I got another job. Consider the character of Moses' lamb. Verse 5, the animals you choose must be a year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. It had to be a perfect lamb. It's the only sacrifice acceptable to God, a perfect one, a spotless one that is whole and sound because God is a holy God and he deserves the best that we have it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ the New Testament calls Jesus a lamb without blemish and without spot as an aside by the way it's another sermon but let me say in passing that's why any service we render the Lord any money we give to him anything we offer him is to is to be a sacrifice and the best that we give him We're not to nickel and dime him. I don't care if you cut the grass on our property. If you rock babies in the nursery, you lead a D group, or a life group, whatever you do, it involves sacrifice and your very best effort in the name of Jesus. Anything less is less than a worthy offering to him. Then there's the condemnation of Moses' lamb. Why should a lamb be put to death? A lamb is innocent. It's done no wrong. Verse 6 says, take care of them until the 14th day. In other words, you bring these lambs into your house. You identify with them. Can you imagine the children of that household naming that lamb and connecting with it, identifying it, identifying with it? Take that. Then when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight, this lamb is to be examined, it's slaughtered, and the blood collected in a basin. Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness because blood is life-giving. That's what blood is to us. When, when doctors want to determine our health, what do they do? They take blood tests that, to determine our health. This slaying pictured that one day God's lamb would be sacrificed, would shed his blood for us. And now many don't like that. You know, some of you made ugh noises when I talked about uh, uh, the sheep or the lambs being slaughtered in the slaughterhouse. Many of you pass out at the sight of blood uh, or it sickens you. You look away. You don't want to hear about it. A few decades ago, there were a couple of denominations that pulled from their hymnals any, ref- any hymns that referenced blood because they called that a slaughterhouse religion and they want to dismiss blood from the teaching of Jesus. Um, Steven Spielberg, when he made the uh, animated version of Moses' life, The Prince of Egypt, he consulted with Old Testament scholars. And the line in the movie was put a mark on the doorpost. And they said to him, No, you can't say mark. It's got to be blood. And Spielberg changed the line to include blood in that statement in The Prince of Egypt. When Billy Graham is first starting to preach, there's a professor of uh, at Cornell University, in the audience, he came up to him and said, you know, you obviously have great communication skills, and you're a winsome, you have great intellect, that's obvious, and you have a great future, provided you don't talk so much about the blood of Jesus. And Billy Graham said, from that moment, I determined that I would do nothing less than proclaim the blood of Jesus Christ poured, poured out for us. You know, people will talk a lot about Jesus, our example, but hear this. Salvation does not come by learning lessons from the life of Christ, but by receiving life from the death of Christ. Keep claiming him. We cannot follow him in his steps. We can't be his disciples until we receive what he did for us on the cross. Consider then the confession of Moses' lamb. Verse 7 says, Then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Verse 22 says, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. And so we have the slain lamb, we have the basin of blood, and we have the house, and inside the house where the blood is marked on the doorpost, when that blood is applied to the doorpost, anyone in that house is safe. Do it with hyssop. Hyssop is a shrubby kind of thing found all over that area of the world in Egypt. Easily attainable. It's pretty weed-like. Anybody can get to it. You see, there's... the. When it's applied on the blood, there is no question as to who was applying the blood to the doorpost. There's blood, no blood there. Blood on that house, not on that house. It was very obvious who was living under the mark of the blood of the Lamb. That still is true today. It'll be clear in your life and my life, wherever we go, whoever we're with, that we've been marked by the blood of Jesus Christ. By our by our words, by our forgiveness, by our winsomeness, by our character, by our decisions, our choices, by the way we do our family life, everything about us, it all be obvious of who we confess as the one who is the Lord of our lives. And then there's the communion of Moses, Lamb. Verse eight says: That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. The lamb was taken, it was killed, and then it was roasted. A long time to be prepared to eat. On the day that Christ died for our sins, he went through a kind of roasting. It was a long day. He wasn't taken out quickly. Was hours of suffering that he went through for us. Fire in the Old Testament, in most cases, is a symbol of God's judgment. And when the Lamb of God died for the sins of the world, fire, the fire of hell fell upon him. It was diverted off of us onto him. And we do we so we could leave out from under judgment and come under blood poured out for us. These, these Hebrew people in Egypt were to, after they roasted the lamb, they were to eat it. Imagine the aroma or the stench when up to a quarter of a million lambs were slaughtered that day. To the Egyptians, that would be a stench of judgment. But to the Hebrew people, it would be aroma of the rescue that was about to take place. What must the Egyptians thought? The slaves are becoming a people. This is the communion that's happening that they were all sharing the same experience, the same trust in the blood on the doorposts. They were obeying the same command under the same God who is the great I am. God was forming a nation for his own purpose to declare his glory. They enjoyed that together. Now, fast forward a number of centuries. As we consider Mary's lamb. What a lamb he was. It's interesting to me that God's people, the Hebrews, were in slavery for about 400 years. And they must have have wondered if God saw them or noted them at all. At the end of the Old Testament scripture, we enter a period of silence from God as well that also lasts four centuries. 400 years, no word of the Lord. God's people must have wondered, does he remember us? Does he see us? Does he know we're, we're looking for him? And then north of the Dead Sea, not too, many, not too many miles, not far from Jerusalem, there's an unusual man who has an unusual diet and wears unusual clothes. And he is preaching. He's preaching intensely in the wilderness area. His name is John. And people came from everywhere to listen to him. And he looked at the crowd and he said, You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? In other words, what are you going to do about this serpent that has destroyed your life? What are you going to do about this wily one that was out to undo you? And then one day, he's by the Jordan River, and he looks up, and he sees Jesus, his cousin, coming toward him, and he says, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. But John the Baptist baptizes Jesus when he's 30 years of age. He comes up out of the water. God's words said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus begins his ministry that lasts for three and a half years before he is the lamb sacrificed. Consider the character of Mary's lamb. The Jews would breed lambs. For the purpose of this one time of year when Passover is celebrated. In fact, around the hills of Bethlehem, there were special shepherds. And all they did was concentrate on raising temple lambs, temple sheep, preparing for sacrifice. And on a day that we call Palm Sunday, all those sheep would be herded through the sheep gate into the city of Jerusalem and driven up the temple mount. For sacrifice. On that same day. On another. On, through another gate. Through the eastern gate. Was Jesus. The Lamb of God. Who came in. And they were crying of him that day. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Little did they recognize on that moment. They would turn on him by the end of the week. And they would be crying out. For his crucifixion. This was the Lamb of God. Now, when all those those hordes of sheep were led up to the temple mount for sacrifice, the priests would have examined them, looking and studying over every ear, every part of the underbody, the legs, every part to make sure every lamb, every sheep was suitable for sacrifice. At the same time, Mary's lamb was being examined as well. In fact, nearly a third of the biographies of Jesus preserved for us In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are given to the final days of Jesus' life. Why? Because he's under examination. The Pharisees examine him. The Sadducees examine him. The Herodians examine him. The civic leaders examine him. The common people examine him. And the conclusion is, no one ever spoke the way this man does, they say. Pilate, the governor, Examine him, and he said, I find no basis for a charge against him. His betrayer, Judas, said, I have betrayed innocent blood because there was no spot. There was no blemish. There was no mark on his life at all. He was the perfect lamb of God. I... I You know, he asked, Jesus himself asked the crowd, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I wouldn't ask that of my friends, let alone my enemies. Oh yes, there's a list of them, but not this one. They picked at him, they questioned him, they, they laid traps for him, they badgered him, but he emerged in every conversation as the perfect, pure, spotless lamb of God. And then came the condemnation of Mary's lamb. Luke 22, 8 said, Jesus says to his disciples, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And so the disciples obeyed and they went and prepared the meal and they gathered together in that upper room. They were still confused. They had no idea what was about to come. They were confused certainly by Jesus in the midst of the meal when he, when he t- picks up the cup and he says, this is my he says, this, goat, uh, this is my body. He breaks the bread. This is my body, which is broken for you. He lifts the cup and says, this cup is the covenant in my blood that's poured out for you. By nine o'clock the next morning, he had been through a kangaroo court. He had been unjustly tried, beaten, scourged, abused, treated so unfairly in the civil and religious courts of man. And the Lord Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross and suffered in anguish. Throughout that day, lambs were being prepared. They prepared by pulling their heads back. The knife applied to the juggler. The lamb, the blood's lamb, poured out. But at three o'clock in the afternoon that day, the Lamb of God didn't have any energy and strength to keep his head held up. It slung forward, and he said, "It is finished." Levites, put your knives down. Priests, you can go home now. You don't have to sacrifice lambs anymore. The final sacrifice has been made, and the death angel can pass over your life when you trust the one who's come for you, the lamb. Has defeated the serpent. But it's not quite over because we have the confession of Mary's lamb also. No blood, and the death angel won't pass over you. Put the blood on the doorposts, put faith in the blood, and death passes over. So Paul the Apostle wrote to the Corinthian believers, Let's keep the feast. And we do every Lord's Day. We come together and in just a few moments. We're going to hold a piece of bread and a piece of cup. Don't dare say that's a mere ritual. Don't you dare think that's just what our church does. Don't dare think that it's just some habit we do. This is our feast. We're coming together to celebrate this one, this Lamb of God who suffered for us, who said, it is finished this is the one. And, 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 and These Hebrew people, in order for that death angel to pass over, had to take that, that hyssop branch and they dipped it into the blood and put it on the doorposts. We do the same thing when we are baptized into Jesus Christ. It's just like the hyssop branch God instructed to be dipped in blood and put on the doorpost. We are baptized into Christ. We are, it's not the water that saves us. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us. And we are putting our faith in the blood poured out for us. And when we do that, death can't hold us anymore. Now, we still die physically. And the sting is still there. And the sting is real. And we shed tears. But a day is coming when Christ comes back and no more sting. Death is ultimately conquered forever and ever. And that's why when we grieve, our grief is not like the rest of the world that has no hope. We grieve with great hope. Our confidence is in Jesus, the Lamb of God. And Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory of his holy angels. In Mark 8, he says, if you confess me before men, then I will confess you before my Father. We come out of the baptistry and we confess him by our kindness and our goodness, by the way we treat those who oppose us, by forgiving our enemies, by embracing those different from us, by walking with people who have wrongly treated us, by refusing to return in likeness how they've treated us. We live different lives. We refuse to to live in any other way than Jesus has outlined for us. We confess him with our lips and with our lives that we believe in the blood of Christ and we are no longer under the canopy of death. We have been rescued from sin and death. God said to the Jews, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Everyone who walks out of this assembly today walks in one of two positions, either the under the blood or above the blood. There is no other way, no other position to be found. And if today you are not under the blood of Jesus, by God's mercy and his grace available to you, can I urge you, in light of his coming, be reconciled to God and come to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and takes away your sin as well. Be baptized into him and live a new life that he has for you. And then there's the communion of the Lamb. In the Old Testament passage, they were to feed on the lamb. And as they remembered for years later, those families came together and they ate together to honor this night of rescue. Do you think anyone slept that night? Imagine you're the dad. It seems strange to you. I take this branch and i'm dipping it in blood and putting it over the doorpost and can you imagine looking at your kids and maybe it's maybe it's 4 a.m. and you hear a distant wail and then another as the day begins and there's weeping in every household in egypt and you're holding tightly to your kids because the death angel has passed over you. God has rescued you. Do you understand what's happened to you? Do you understand why our church exists? We exist to make sure that every household has the opportunity to live under the blood of Jesus. We want our children and grandchildren to be marked by the blood of Jesus. We don't want anyone, we don't want our worst enemy to be found without the blood of Jesus. And so when we have our communion today, when we hold these emblems, we are having a feast together. This is what binds us. There's no other reason why I'd want to be with you all you probably wouldn't want to be with me except for the blood of Jesus. And we're held together by the blood, even though politically we might not agree. We may not agree all the things we do as a church. We may not agree all the decisions. We may not even like each other sometimes, but we're going to stay eating together and being united together because of the Lamb of God. So Revelation says, Then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature And heaven on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. My good friends, the lamb has conquered the serpent. Mary had a little lamb and that lamb was God's lamb. And his name is Jesus. He is worthy of our worship.